0: get your first book for just 9.99 by using the code chirp CHIRP one more time that's bookofthemonth.com use the code chirp and get reading
2: This episode of Other People is brought to you by Audible, the world's premier provider of digital audiobooks. Over at audible.com, there are hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from in a terrific variety of genres. And you can play them on just about any digital listening device on planet Earth, whether it's an iPhone, a Kindle, an Android, whatever you happen to have. And here's a killer deal, everybody. Right now, for listeners of this program, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Go get yourself a science fiction classic like Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, or How about Dune by Frank Herbert, or Neuromancer by William Gibson. Any one of these titles can be yours free of charge, and if you do this, if you go get the freebie, it helps the program. I get a few nickels. That's enjoyable. To download your free audiobook, just go to Audibletrial.com slash otherpeople. Again, that's Audibletrial.com slash otherpeople. This is an amazing deal. It's available right now. These are books. You can listen to them. Go and get them. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other
0: people.
1: You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that
2: a writer could do, I've
0: done.
1: I think it's really beautiful. Jake, stated, did what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just
2: one person at just one time. All right, everybody. (laughs) Here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is inside of your brain. This is me attempting to make an impression inside of your brain. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. It's happening. It is unfolding. The podcast is unfolding. We are here. We are breathing. We are animals. Uh, I think we used to be fish. I think human beings are descended from fish. I think we are 70% water, as is the planet. I think birds used to be dinosaurs. Dinosaurs went extinct when a giant meteor crashed into the planet, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, have you subscribed to the program at iTunes yet? Please remember that you can do that. It's free over at iTunes. Subscribe there. Subscribe at Stitcher if you're a Stitcher person. It doesn't cost a dime. And please note that you can follow me on Twitter, at Brad Listie, if you want to follow my recreational tweeting. You can also follow the program itself over at Other People Pod. And here's a quick story before we get started. I was having dinner with my wife last night. We were sitting at a bar in a restaurant in Los Angeles here uh, in the uh, city uh, at the bottom of California. It was our fifth wedding anniversary. We have been married for five years and we were sitting there enjoying uh, a beverage, an ice cold beverage, talking about the fact that we have been married for five years and how fast it all goes. Not just marriage, but life in general. And uh, suddenly we turned... Uh, to look at each other and had this unexpectedly profound moment where suddenly we realized uh, oh my god this is going extremely fast five years have just gone by in what feels like five minutes and not just theoretically but really it really feels like it just went by in five minutes and everything is changing we have a kid now and eventually probably very soon it's going to feel like that anyway we are going to die and uh, I had that thought and we both had that thought and it was this weird moment. It wasn't entirely morbid. It was also sort of exciting and thrilling and scary in a roller coaster kind of way. And I looked around the room uh, around this restaurant at all of these other people sitting there eating and drinking and talking, none of whom, it occurred to me, appeared to be contemplating mortality uh, in any kind of way. And I thought to myself, my God, it's like a dream. And then our waiter brought us a salad. My guest today is Mr. Steve Rogenbuck. He is a 24-year-old poet. Uh, slash blogger slash multimedia artist slash community organizer Uh, i don't know exactly what you call this guy he sort of defies uh, easy definition in the best possible way but i do know that what he's doing is very compelling and very interesting and feels to me like the embodiment of a very contemporary mode of self-expression he's got a new book of poetry out called crunk juice which he is publishing on his very own live my life imprint l-i-e-f which you can get Uh, Over at livemylife.com Steve is currently traveling the earth Giving poetry readings in people's living rooms And hosting a live Web-based television program called The Illuminati Power Hour I think I got that right So uh, let's get to it shall we Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready? This right here Ladies and gentlemen is my conversation With Mr. Steve Rogenbach
1: I'm in Brooklyn right now. I'm, uh, I've been traveling around the country this whole year. Uh, usually I'd say like a week or two with people, sometimes just a couple days. Uh, but right now I'm staying like a bit longer around New York City. I'm, I've been here a couple weeks and I'll be here like three more weeks, I think. So I'm putting down a little deeper roots in Brooklyn.
2: I mean is that some place you see yourself ultimately winding up once all this traveling is done or are you kind of like do you see yourself just moving around nomadically for the foreseeable future you know what i'm saying
1: uh i see myself eventually settling in san francisco or nearby because the weather i think i i uh, got sick of the of the midwest and the the winters and I, I like the idea of it always being somewhere around like sweatshirt weather the whole year. Um, so, but I like New York City because there's so many people here. Uh, like I keep sort of lists of, um, when people contact me and say, like, you know, r- let me know when you're in this city, because I would come to a reading, and I keep track of that. And the list for New York City is like three times longer than any other city, so it's just kind of fun to be around that many internet acquaintances.
2: Sure, sure. Now, how do you keep these lists? I mean, just like a list on a Microsoft Word document or are you doing all this via Twitter or like how do you keep
1: Oh, uh, no, keep yeah, track? just just a uh, just a text file. It's primitive it's pretty primitive.
2: Okay. So, let's get into uh origin story. <laughs> Um, like, first of all, you said you're from the Midwest, so I mean, I'm just curious to know who you are, like, where you're from. Like, you're from Michigan, right?
1: Yeah, my dad is a farmer. I was from rural Michigan, like, nowhere near Detroit or anything.
2: Okay, so, so where, like, what, what part of the state are you in? Like, up in the, uh...
1: Um, well, there, I was in the lower peninsula. Uh, people from Michigan, uh, uniformly use their hand to show you <laughs> where they're from in the state uh the lower peninsula is said to look like a mitten and uh i would be in the thumb of the mitten near the tip of the thumb so like on the east side of the state um by lake here like i was right on the coast i was from i went to school in harbor beach michigan
2: okay yeah you know it's weird i have i think i might have even talked about this before but uh, when I was a kid, I had a he- I lived in Milwaukee. That's where I'm from, and uh, nice. I got a helium balloon at, at Donut Sunday at my church, uh, my family's church after you know Mass on on Sunday and. I tied a note to it and I let it go. Like I wrote like, you know, I was like in second grade or something and I wrote a note on it and it flew all the way from uh suburban Milwaukee to Alpena, Michigan, which is like, uh, Oh wow. Like Northeastern Michigan, which is a hell of a distance. And a kid was (laughs) was walking through like a field on his way home from school and caught the balloon. Like it literally descended into his hands and he wrote me back. It's really weird. (laughs)
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a friend once who, uh, Who I think he like pooped in a bag and then he put that up on a balloon. (laughs) I don't think (laughs) I don't think he ever heard back about it. (laughs) But I remember he was like he was saving up his poop for a while, and that was like I guess kind of gross. Like he had it in a bag outside of his window.
2: Oh my god! Like
1: on the roof. Like (laughs) I don't know why. Like one poop wouldn't be enough, but. That's one story I had. He wanted, <laughs>
2: he wanted to give it himself, but he must have had multiple balloons, though. I mean, like that—that that seems like a heavy load. Maybe,
0: for, yeah, yeah, have yeah.
2: Um, so what kind of kid were you? You know, like how did you grow up? You said your dad was a farmer. Were you like working the farm or were you just like normal kid going yeah. to like, normal school or like what, what was it like?
1: Uh, I was kind of into the farming when I was like five years old and stuff. I would play with these toy tractors, like push them back and forth across the carpet, pretend I was farming the room. But uh, the main thing was that I was really into sports after a certain point and like I didn't even like choose a specific sport I think I was the best at baseball like I played in little league baseball I still have the baseball jersey my little league jersey it's in my profile picture right now um uh it still fits me somehow but I was a pitcher in a third baseman because I could throw well uh so that was a sport I was the best at but I, I was really into sports I collected sports cards and I think I always had, there was an essay by Donald Hall. I feel like, um, I don't know, Donald Hall had this essay where he was talking about, uh, he was like, he was creating a myth of like, uh, of the story of the writer or something. And he was saying that, that the, that the impulse to be a poet begins with a general impulse to want to be great or something, which I don't even think is true for all writers. But I think for me, that was the way it started. I think I always wanted to be great at something. Like, I think I, uh, I wanted to be a professional sports player. And then after I was not interested in the main sports sports, then I was interested in uh, riding BMX, like freestyle BMX. And uh, and then I was interested in being a rock star in a band, like a death metal band, though. Uh, And then when I went to college, I sort of well, or a little bit before college, I discovered E.E. Cummings, and I really liked his poetry. And then I sort of transferred my energy toward poetry.
2: So you've been—I mean, you've jumped around, uh, you know, from thing to thing. But when you when you like locked onto something, like for instance, you went from baseball to BMX, or you went from BMX to. Uh, playing in uh, death metal bands and stuff, was it kind of one thing at a time in kind of a monomaniacal way where you just threw all of yourself into it? Or were you doing both? Of, you know you know what I'm saying? Like It sounds like you have, and it seems like having watched you on video and stuff, that you have all this energy and you tend to channel it. But I'm wondering if you're spreading it out amongst various interests.
1: Uh, it's fairly... F- focused it's been fairly focused like those things overlap a little bit but usually i would sort of be like where they were most overlapping it was just like sort of a transition like i was getting into writing poetry a bit at the end of high school but that was mainly when i was like really focused on uh doing my band and also marketing my band on myspace which was sort of preparation for what i came to do later
2: with poetry as well. Well, no, but, I, I was going to say cuz like uh, that that makes a lot of sense actually the fact that you had this experience in high school and you were putting together I don't know, an online presence and building community for your music that early because there's it, you know it, it's pretty yeah. it's pretty sophisticated actually what you're doing, I think. You know, uh, as somebody who runs like an online blog or collective magazine or whatever, you know, I have uh, a lot of admiration for what you've been able to put together and, like, the community you've been able to build. That's not a simple thing to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's taken, taken a lot of time and a lot of work, thank you. Yeah.
2: Um, so, okay, so what, what prompted the transitions? You know what I'm saying? Like, in particular, like, you were playing, you said, Death Metal in high school? Yeah. So what was the name of your band?
1: Well... Uh, the main I had tons of bands but the main like inside projects and stuff but my main band was uh, my main band that I put the effort into like touring a little bit and like promoting the MySpace that band was called Scappata di Morte which is Italian for like fuck of death but it's not even like the most obscene word for fuck I think so maybe it might be more like screw of death <laughs> or hump of death possibly making um, love of death (laughs) making love of death uh so that was my main band but what's funny about it is like that was the band that i felt like the members i was still the most driven to like make the band succeed and like to market the band but uh it wasn't even the most talented band that i was in like i had this other band that i actually was in with both my brothers and some other people um because my brothers my brothers are actually more talented at music than I am like i was, I was a pretty good drummer I guess but I I didn't like have the ma- I didn't like have the natural music gift as much like my brother could drum really well and he hardly practiced at all my older brother and but for me it took a lot more practice uh but uh but yeah the band with my brothers it seemed like they were particularly especially my older brother was particularly like sort of apathetic about like spreading the music or anything he just like wanted to make the music really good and stuff so he's he's actually more of the artist uh or i feel like i have enough of the artist in me but i'm also like just more driven to like work hard to to build something and spread it
2: yeah well i mean and you kind of have to have that especially in this day and age i mean you can't it's very rare the artist who just gets to sit kind of sit back uh apathetically or whatever and just make the art and do nothing in support of it if they want to mm-hmm. build if they want to build an audience i mean it's very difficult you know i guess like once you achieve a certain readership or once you have a certain fan base you can do less of that but that's a that's a luxury it seems like uh, increasingly yeah so what were you like like what were you like uh socially as a kid i mean it sounds like you You know, did fairly well. If you were playing in bands, you had friends and did stuff like that, and you weren't, I mean, you're you're not a loner. You're a social guy, which is not necessarily always the case for people who gravitate towards poetry and writing.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, when I was really young, it was like I didn't, I don't know, one interview I did, uh, somebody was, asking, me, you know, if I might have been, like, particularly isolated because I lived in the middle of nowhere, and I feel like that's somewhat true. Like, a lot of times, I would just be, like, especially when I was younger, like, elementary school, grade school, uh I would be outside, like, playing sports sort of by myself, like with myself, like as if I was playing against myself, like I would, (laughs) I would throw the ball and run and catch it and then pretend to get tackled, you know, and, uh, stuff like that. Uh, so I don't, uh, I don't know. My brothers weren't really into sports though. So, um, but I had a few friends at school that were into things. I had one sort of best friend that started in like sixth grade and we built some websites together. We, like, created uh, – we, we participated in eFeds. Like, that was another thing I was into that I didn't mention, I guess, because I didn't really see myself doing it professionally as much. But uh, wrestling, I was into for a while. And there were these, that, was been, that was my first creative writing experience, probably, was writing these role play things for uh, these wrestlers that you would create – for these e federations and use these message boards on like Geo Cities and stuff. And uh it was like you would write a little play almost, like of what your character comes and does. He like he does something that makes him badass looking and then he challenges another wrestler, you know. anyway I had a friend that we did those and then he continued where we started the band and then different bands um and yeah i- I had my band friends, but I don't know. it was a particular kind of friendship, like I didn't feel like really emotionally close, well, I mean in certain ways, I guess, but i don't know <laughs> well, i don't know it was it was a it was it was a bro friendship, you know, it was like we're in this band together, we do this activity together, but it's not like we were like i don't know
2: <laughs> well yeah no i think but i mean i think that's fairly common among adolescent boys yeah yeah, it's, it's yeah. i much...
1: guess i guess yeah i guess i wasn't particularly isolated no i had an average social life maybe i don't know
2: were you i mean were you a good student
1: uh i got good grades i don't think i put tons of effort and i did decent i think you know like i have I, I did above average with the grades, but I think it came easy to me like I was just a smart kid or whatever, you know?
2: Yeah. And and then, uh, you know, I guess like once you got uh, into the music and then once you started to move out of the music, that happened in college after you read e. e. Cummings. Like, did you feel that like you had taken music as far as you could take it or was it just a, a case where you started to get more interested in the literary side of things and that just kind of overtook you? Do you know what I'm saying? Did you hit a wall with music or did you just decide, you know, that you were going to channel all of your energies elsewhere?
1: Uh, It was sort of this thing where they were competing interests for a while, but the main band that I was in sort of fell apart because of going to college. We didn't get to practice as much. And I think the other members especially were uh, sort of burnt out on it because I think we were sort of pushing it, pushing kind of hard, like going on, on little tours and stuff, but we weren't really that great of a band. So, I mean, you know, we weren't getting that much momentum from it. So that's kind of a tiring thing to keep up. And so they were a little tired out by that. And just, so I think the band stuff started to sort of die down naturally. And then the poetry was just really easy for me to do because it was just me. I didn't have to rely on anybody else being equally interested in it. Um,
2: well, and where were you, where were you at college?
1: Uh, Central Michigan University. Nothing special, really. I went there just because my friends were there, a bunch of them. It sort of has a reputation as a party school. It's a pretty big school.
2: The, fight, uh, the Fighting Chippewas, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is the Chippewas, yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay, so how long were you there for?
1: Uh, just four years. I did the undergrad degree.
2: Oh, so you, did, did you, get the, you did get the degree.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got the undergrad. When I dropped out, I was out of a grad program.
2: Ah, okay. And where was that at?
1: Uh Columbia College, Chicago. I did the MFA for poetry there. I did like a year and then like a couple months.
2: Uh huh. And your parents like, were your parents like supportive of these pursuits? Like, did you have like a good relationship with them? Or Were they like, you know, following you through all this stuff, like the death metal and the poetry? Or were you reacting in any yeah. way, reacting in any way against like parental authority?
1: My dad has always been really supportive. Like, um, he helped me get this wagon, or uh, this trailer that we used to go on tour with the band. Um, and then he's always been supportive of me following the other stuff. And, uh, with this current, like, traveling and stuff that I'm doing now, he's sort of just, like, seeded to me that that I would know more about it than him. <laughs> like but he's like, I he he said something like, I don't know what's possible in this internet age in which we live. <laughs> um whereas my mom was always a little more worried, a little bit more like encouraging me to do something that seems secure and standard. Like whenever I would express any uncertainty in my and my, like, major or something, she would encourage me to, like, switch to accounting or something, you know, like, <laughs> right. like, just completely 180 or something, you know?
2: I can't see you as an accountant, Steve. i got to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was pretty good at math growing up, though. I was good at it.
2: Really? Like, but, like up, up to what point? Like, could you take it as far as calculus, or did you hit a wall? Like, I, had, uh, I, I was I, I was good until trigonometry, and then I was just like... Fuck it, you know? But I think part of that might have just been that I was sick of school and getting ready to graduate.
1: Yeah, I think maybe similar for me. I took pre-calc in high school, but then I tried taking calculus in college because I'm like, I got to take one math class. I might as well take it. I know I can take calc. I took it in high school. But it was like way too much work that I didn't feel like putting in effort, and I just didn't. I took this really easy algebra class, and it was it was nice. <laughs>
2: It's like it's like review at that point, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I remembered how to do factoring, which was a lot of fun at the time, although now I forget again.
2: Oh god. But, I, yeah, I wouldn't remember any of that. <laughs> um, and you know what I forgot to ask and I sh- I feel like compelled to ask is like what kind of farmer What kind of farming was your dad doing? Like what were you guys growing? And how big of a plot? Uh, yeah. like, g- give me a visual read on the farm that you grew up on.
1: Well, it's a lot of fields that are sort of like spread around the county or, well, not even that, just like within a few miles mainly, but, uh, he did corn, uh, sugar beets and a lot of beans and some wheat. Uh, so it was, so it was all crop farming, uh, which was good for me because I would eventually go vegan and, so, uh, but I still helped out on the farm. Uh, so I've got a lot of the tractor driving experience. I've got a little semi driving experience.
2: Wow. So you, okay. And so, what prompt? When did the vegan thing happen?
1: Uh, that was well. I went. I went uh, vegetarian, uh, but still ate uh, dairy and eggs and everything uh, in like 2005. And then in 2007, I went vegan. So,
2: and what prompted the what prompted the initial shift?
1: Uh, it was just seeing a video on the internet. I think that's part of why I've had so much connection with doing the internet stuff is that, like, I grew up in this rural area where, like, progressive culture and art and ideas, like, didn't come to me any other way than through the internet. Like, it's not like somebody at school was busting out this new cultural idea, you know. It was always on the internet. So it was somebody... I'm like some random friend that I found from some group MSN chat or something sent me this video from like PETA. It was like meet your meat. That was the first thing I saw that. And I didn't even immediately go vegetarian at that time, but that sort of planted the seed. And then later I was encouraged to actually do it. And then I saw another video in 2007 that was specifically about egg production that then I decided to go vegan completely
2: yeah no it's like uh being confronted with like uh you know factory farming and it's hard you know i think yeah i I challenge anybody i don't care even like the most like vociferous meat eater to sit through uh you know one of those videos and actually watch it and not be like nauseated it's hard i mean you know i think people just don't want to know
1: yeah yeah and like people would have differences of philosophical opinion about the specifics like um I actually got into vegan activism quite a bit afterward, like 2008-2009, so I did some blogging about veganism, I could see myself blogging about it more, Um, although I already like the position that I'm in now, it's like I'm not specifically out there talking about veganism all, all the time, but I just have this following that is interested in kind of anything I say. And that's kind of fun because then once in a while I can get onto a topic like that and sort of make some impact. Anyway,
2: well, but, um, people get people get emotional about food. That's what I find because, like, I've been I've been like fully, yeah. I've been fully vegan before. I'm I'm essentially vegetarian now. I think I bat like ninety percent or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like uh-uh. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm pretty good. And I've been totally in the past, but. Um, everybody in my family is not, you know what I'm saying? I, my grandfather was a butcher, for God's sakes, which was like part of the reason why yeah. I got started thinking about this in the first place. But um, what I find is that when you start talking about food choice, people just get very emotional. It's strange how emotionally connected people are to, like, bacon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and people take people take things like veganism usually, like, so they sort of take offense to it when you bring it up. Um I guess because it's like an ethical thing they feel like you know like I never I never mean to have it feel like a personal attack on a person but a lot of people take it that way and like no, there are are pe- really... there, are,
2: there are people who are going to be listening right now who are, who are sitting there like uh, stewing
1: Yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you holier than thou person I'm just I'm just like st- stating my belief a little bit or something and talking like kindly about it but it, comes off as like hostile
2: yeah so uh let's get back to like just try to follow the timeline a little bit like you were you an engaged student as an undergraduate or were you sort of dicking around for those four years and and sort of uh finding your way into poetry is that a a proper read on it or was it more
1: robust uh i was i was a pretty good student there were classes that i was really interested in i found that when I'm allowed to study what I'm interested in, like when I'm allowed to have a lot of freedom and independence in what I'm studying, I go above and beyond, you know, like there, there are certain papers where I was allowed to write about some specific idea relating to poetry that I was really interested in at the time. And I would go beyond the length requirement, you know, way more sources than, than was required. And like, do phenomenally or whatever but like other times I would sort of you know have to read this book that the teacher picked out and that I didn't connect with that much and I would struggle to even get it done you know
2: Uh, you couldn't fake it
1: yeah I think that's I think that's kind of why my MFA well that's one of the reasons why the MFA didn't really work out for me was that uh, there wasn't as much independence and, and like Freedom in that program as I would have wanted. I think I don't know. There's a lot of reasons though.
2: So you dropped out. Like, wh- like how far along were you when you when you bailed on it?
1: I was more than halfway done, I think, or around halfway. I had finished one year. It was a two year program, but it was going to take me at least like maybe into the summer of, of the summer after that. Then- uh, but I just dropped out in the fall of the second year. So. And I just stopped going to classes. Like I, <laughs> when I make a decision, I usually like, just, I have to act on it immediately. Like I, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, it was that way when I decided to go vegetarian and decided to go vegan too. It's like, I make the decision and then it's just fully on from there. Like, I mean, um, uh, and so the same with this. it's like, I sort of started getting the idea in my head that I might drop out and then, I was there was a couple class periods where I just was having a bad day and so I just skipped because I was getting a little bit more apathetic and then and then I just let it slip and then I just didn't <laughs> I just didn't even finish out the semester or anything. I just uh failed out of my classes that I was in, I think, and just so there I didn't I didn't leave any hope of like returning to my MFA program. I just dropped I just stopped.
2: Scorched earth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um so what about influences? Like what, you know, you said EE e. Cummings, but like you must have been reading other poets and other writers who really like I know like on your website you you say that uh what is it Budo, Walt Whitman and Little B are your uh, or Lil B. Yeah. Those are your major influences? Like is there any I mean there, there's something tongue in cheek at least or no, those are all for real? Uh those
1: are all for real, but I feel I should I maybe I should expand that part of like my bio or something. I feel like I feel like those three people fit a certain template of person and that's the same template of person that I would aspire to be like, um,
2: which is like uh, expound on that a little bit. Like, what do you mean? what What is this template?
1: Well, for one, I feel like the culture that each of those three have produced, uh, shares a lot. Like it's a similar worldview. Like it's a worldview of, appreciating just the greatness, the vastness, the beauty of the world, of being alive, Um, and they each, like, I mean, I don't know, Buddha's a little different, maybe because he was actually going at it as religion, so I was like, of course he was talking really directly about it. But with Whitman and Little B, I mean, Little B can also just be very goofy about various things, but when he talks about those things, um, in the same way as Walt Whitman, he's just very direct about it. Like, my one teacher in grad school, I was talking to him about Walt Whitman, and, and he, he put it uh, this way that, that Walt Whitman didn't have an ironic censor. And I feel like that's, that's maybe part of it. Like, a lot of people uh, wouldn't think to say or they'd feel too self conscious. or or cliched to just be saying how beautiful the world is and everything uh, and just, like, talking about appreciating each other uh, while we're here on Earth and stuff. But I really like how, like, Will B and uh, Walt Whitman stuff, uh, the way I've perceived it, just, like, brings you back to that basic appreciation of being alive and stuff, and it's sort of ecstatic in this way. So I feel like there's that that they share, those three, but then also... Then the way that they've lived out their lives, um, it's not just about creating those ideas or that or that worldview or the culture around it, but also like working hard to spread that stuff. Um, like Walt Whitman, I don't, hey, he wasn't super successful during his life at spreading his stuff, I, I don't think, but he wrote a review of his own book anonymously, you know, no, <laughs> and you he like would hand. There's I a, guess he would hand out pamphlets of his poetry and stuff.
2: Well, no, there's a funny story. Like I used to tell this to my students when I was teaching creative writing, is that uh, you know Walt Whitman got launched, uh, or part of what really launched him was the fact that Ralph Waldo Emerson was a big fan, and Emerson. Oh yeah, yeah. Emerson wrote him. Uh, I believe it was when Leaves of Grass was published. It was self-published uh, initially, and uh, Leaves of Grass got you know found its way into Ralph Waldo Emerson's hands, and he read it and loved it, and he wrote. Uh, a gushing letter to Whitman I yeah. think, who was living in New York at the time and Whitman on the second printing of the book, uh, excerpted the letter without asking permission and slapped like a, like a blurb on the back of yeah, the book yeah. from Emerson, you know? So like, um, I don't know, there's something like, you know, and, and I think Allen Ginsberg had, um, a background in publicity. Like, didn't he work as a publicist or work in marketing or something? And It just strikes me as interesting as like the the two of the predominant, if not the two predominant American poets, had um, good instincts in that way. And I think, um, you know, this gets at the heart of what fascinates me so much about you um, because I've had conversations with writer friends of mine going back several years, particularly in the context of the internet, uh, where I said, you know, I think the internet is really good for poetry. I think that like it's it's the best fit when it comes to literary forms because yeah. uh, poems can be presented and uh, read online more easily than long form literature, obviously. Um, yeah. But I also I also felt that like the multimedia possibilities of the internet uh, were really interesting for poets in particular uh, because it would allow them to perform, you know, it's nice to see see the videos where you're reading your work. Uh, That works. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It it seems like a more of a natural fit. And I kept anticipating that there was going to be somebody out there who really got that and embraced it. And I feel like you're the first person that I've seen anyway. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people out there um, or there will be soon, but I feel like there's something about your presentation and sort of the the fusion of all the different aspects of what you do that gets at what I was thinking about. So I don't know. It just, it feels like a, a step. I don't know. I mean, is that how you see it? Because uh, this is the thing is like, I want you to talk about your conception of what you do and why you do like, you know, the videos and how, why you misspell the words and you know, the creation of the culture that happens yeah, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a result of that through mimicry and you know, all that stuff. Um, at first glance can seem accidental or even like an accident, <laughs> um, you know, like some sort of big, like grave mistake. And then you start to realize um, that's not the case at all. And then you start to read more deeply and uh, it gets very fascinating uh, for me anyway. So like talk about, uh, you know, y- you're dropping out of graduate school at Columbia College in Chicago. And then when did you make the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this online, um, like, you know, with gusto. And then I'm also going to go out and start traveling and uh, living nomadically.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, a lot of the online stuff I started while I was still in the MFA program. I was um, in late 2010 when I, the fall that I started the MFA program was also the first fall that I published my uh, self-published a chat book. Um, And I did some online stuff with that. Like it was on a website along with the print copies, but, but it was still straightforward text poetry kind of i didn't i didn't do videos at that point or anything um and then but then in 2011 uh there was this moment in one of my mfa classes i remember i brought in this really sort of jokey poem that was uh it's i don't know i was. i was doing a lot of like flarf inspired stuff when i was in my mfa program that was my main influence at that time specifically and um I think some of my teachers didn't really like that or get that. And, 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 um, and explain
2: explain what Flarf is, just so that listeners can get some context.
1: Yeah. Uh, Flarf is sort of this thing in in poetry uh, since the 2000s uh, that mainly was, uh, I mean, it has a few different meanings, I guess, like intentionally bad poetry was the broadest meaning. But I think most of the time when people say Flarf poetry... They're talking about this method of using found text from the Internet, usually from Google search results. So you'll type in some combination of words on Google and then scroll through the results and find these sort of funny excerpts or, like, sometimes they'll be sort of oddly profound or something, but it's collaging together these search results and stuff, um, usually with this sort of ironic humor. And, um, yeah, so uh my one teacher i there was this poem that was basically just making a joke i guess and this <laughs> this teacher was like save this stuff for your blog just like it seemed like this like really condescending comment that just like it made me really want to own the blog thing you know it made me really want to be an internet poet because i felt like these people weren't respecting it like weren't acknowledging the validity of it and i for me that sort of like clarified what I did want to do. And so then moving into two thousand eleven, I just kept noticing these these things on the internet that I felt were doing so much of what I like about poetry. But they were they weren't even necessarily claiming the poetry name. Uh there's this blog, Hipster Runoff, that I was right. following at the time pretty closely. And the sort of ironic humor on there, especially on the mainstreamer, the civic part of the website, was really similar to Flarf Poetry to me. Um, But they had way more readers. You know, you put a a Flarf Poetry on these small presses and it's probably a couple hundred readers, could be a couple thousand, Uh, but this blog had like thousands of people that were reading it every day. Uh, And then... There was horse ebooks that I found in February of two thousand eleven, I think, and I really was amused with that. Just these like these short clippings of these like spam bot type uh sentences, you know, that were really amusing or really striking, interesting language, but it was presented in this sort of online distribution and in this specific context that like it was, ju- it just seemed really accessible and like fun. Um, and I liked that these things weren't even necessarily claiming to be poetry, uh, but they were doing the same things as it uh, and reaching a lot of people. I think I've always been interested in reaching a lot of people. That's like what I was saying about, about Whitman and Buddha and Will B being my heroes because they actually work to like build up and spread their stuff like Buddha traveling and teaching people um... also other than uh... the walt whitman thing So, uh, but then i started doing image macros a bunch that was one thing i mean i started doing a lot more on twitter that was inspired by horse ebooks and some other like funny twitter people i had found um... but i started doing image macros which image macros like the technical name for stuff like the wall caps where there's an image and then text uh over it and uh usually for humorous effect, you know, like it's a picture of a cat and then it says something with a goofy misspelling or something. Uh and so I started doing these image macros uh using FLARF as a way to write the 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 captions for them. So I would be and I made this video where it's, it's not that consequential what the name is for it, but I used the term microflarves because I found, I, I liked the movement from, instead of collaging together all these sound internet lines, it was, uh, just taking one at a time and like, sending it out as a tweet or pairing it with an image or something. Are you still there? Yeah, I just wanted yeah, to check. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to get too far and then notice that you're not there or something. Um, <laughs> no, but so, but so w-
2: was, when you were when you were creating these macros, just so I get a clear image or, or a clear idea of the process, um, you know, how did you land on the line? You're Googling some random term and then just looking at the results and grabbing a line that catches your eye and creating a macro with it.
1: Uh, Kind of, but I mean, I had certain techniques, I guess, like for what I would Google, like I, I would try to, you know, put stuff that, that would bring up stuff that was funny to me. So a lot of times I would pair something that seemed like an interesting or funny subject matter to me along with a specific type of language, like a specific phrasing or something like, um, early on I was I was really interested in making these Justin Bieber macros, like these macros about Justin Bieber and stuff. So <laughs> and I would have these like characters from like the eighteen hundreds or something like talking about Justin Bieber enthusiastically. And I would have uh I would search like Bieber frickin' sweet or something like <laughs> to sort of tr- because I liked to capture, when I was reading K. Sila Muhammad, my favorite far poet, I kept noticing where he would have this sort of language that seemed like it was from, like, the comments section. Like, that was specifically the type of internet language that w- interests me, like the comments section. You know, like, these people, like, shit-talking each other, like, as if they have this authority, or just, like, as if they're really enthusiastic comments. I don't know, just, like, everybody, like, seems to, like, enjoy getting up on this soapbox and, like, uh, I don't know. I find it, like, I find it, like, amusing but also lovable uh, and just interesting, I guess. So, anyway, I would often pair, like, some, like, little snippet of language like that. And, like, uh, this time in the fall that I was doing it last fall, when I, after I had been doing it for a while longer, I remember... I remember searching the phrase like, I want to dating you or like, or like I want to dating or something like this, you know, this pairing of this like ungrammatical verb usage and then sort of, you know, flipping through the results, seeing which one like made me most amused as as to where it took it after that.
2: But that's like, you know, that's, uh, like, that, that's interesting to me because that's like, you know, that's a great active usage of, uh, of the Internet. Do you know what I'm saying? You're using yeah. you're using it to create art as opposed to just kind of like sit there slack jawed and receive, you know.
1: Yeah, I guess that's, that's an interesting thing to me because a lot of people, you know, criticize, you know, spending four hours on Facebook or whatever. But to me, that's like I feel like I'm doing my best work when i'm like on facebook for four hours i feel like i'm making a difference i feel like i'm the happiest that i can be after i've been like boosting people on social media for like 10 hours or something you know so it's like but i yeah it's just a difference in like between the active use of it and passive use of it, I guess. So, yeah, I
2: mean, it's that's the thing. It's not inherently... I don't think it's inherently bad or inherently good. It's just a matter of what we do. With yeah. It. I think it's sort of engineered... Uh, to, It's sort of engineered... Like, it tilts more towards passive use. Do you know what I'm saying? You kind of have to, like, roll your sleeves up a little bit and be disciplined about using it the right way. It's easy to fall into, like, passive use. Uh, sort of like television. I
1: guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but, yeah. But, I mean... I don't know. It seems like it encourages more activity than television. Like, I mean, yeah. you do have to click various things. You have more choice than that. I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so let's talk about some of the um, the the memes or some of the stuff that you do. Like, I want to um – talk about the misspellings you know is that something that you grabbed from flarf or is that something like that you one day started doing uh and kind of making yourself laugh with it and then it stuck or like what's the origin of that
1: well i had always uh, experimented with stuff like that uh i found the poet peter orlovsky was a beat poet uh, a little bit less known, but he was like Allen Ginsberg's lover for a while, maybe I think a long time, actually. And I really like his poetry, and he uses a lot of misspellings. Um, so I found his poetry in like 2007, and I started doing some misspellings around then, but I didn't really stick with it too hard. Um, but I had always been like, from the E. Cummings influence, I was always playing with punctuation and capitalization and spacing and stuff. So I was always open to stuff like that. And I think specifically then, like, some Twitter accounts that were using the misspellings a lot. And like, when I was looking at macros for inspiration, like all the wall caps and stuff, those always use the misspellings. So I think it started, this, this re- this most recent wave of it was, um, was started as, yeah, from the internet stuff, flarf, the flarfy type of stuff, not from, floor of poetry itself, I think, but, um, uh, but what's interesting is I feel like I've, I've had a lot of like post ironic uses of misspelling. I feel like post irony, I'm not even sure if that's the best word. And I know like to some people that word won't be helpful at all. Um, but there, that's the best word that I know of that, like this dynamic of sort of, uh, It's a, it's a really central part of my work, I think, um, where like, for example, with the misspellings so the misspelling of my site name is a great example, live my life with the L I E F misspelling of life. Um, live my life seems like this motivational, positive, inspirational thing. I've referred to it as a mantra, live my life, you know, live my life, uh, but the misspelling sort of makes it funny, you know, sort of undercuts it, uh, and yet I still think it feels motivational anyway. Like it's still, at least the site, is positive is positive and motivational. So it's like it's a joke, but it's not only a joke.
2: Like Well, well and it's just like – I mean it's like it, it does something at the surface level with the text that causes – Cause this is what it did to me is that it makes me stop for a second and actually think about what you're saying. <laughs> you, know, like, you go, wait a minute. He, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially in the internet where there's so much information coming at people, when you have these intentional misspellings and these macro presentations and um, the combination of like, you know, uh, you know, ironic humor coupled with really earnest, like, sincere messages of positivity. Um, yeah, and, you know that stuff uh, catches your eye, and then it forces you know it causes you to look deeper, uh, and and once you realize that there is something deeper uh, happening, then it has its hooks in you. Do you know what I'm saying? I think there's something sort of uh, genius about that.
1: <laughs> nice, yeah. A lot of times, I feel like the misspellings also make the voice seem um, cuter. That's that's one thing. Like um, the the thing they'll the put the. Last fall, fall 2011, I really started amping up my use of misspellings. Like, I had done it some as part of my flarfing before that, but really last fall, I started amping it up a lot, and I started doing it in the context of these love poems that turned into, like, Somewhere in the Bottom of the Rain um, and some others. But, um, like, I always... in Somewhere in the Bottom of the Rain, for example, I think I always spell KISS, K-I-S, and in most of my stuff... I just, I like the spelling more. I don't know. Um, and a lot of misspellings, though, I feel like make, like, it, it alters the voice in a way. And the people in the MFA program really struggled with that intellectually. Like, they would say, like, so the speaker is a kid, probably, because of the misspellings, but then they're saying all this really romantic stuff. I don't get it. Like, or, um, or they would be saying, like, how would, why would you misspell kiss but then spell giraffe correctly, you
0: know? Right.
1: So. But that's part of the, um, that's part of me, the art it of it. Never, part, of the,
2: part of the art of it is deciding which words to misspell. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. it's, it's like scare quotes. It's like, which words do you scare quote? I mean, if, you just, if you're really completely arbitrary about it, it doesn't work. Like, you have to do it well, I think, you know?
1: Yeah, I think maybe they were accusing me of being somewhat arbitrary about it but i think they were looking for too much of like a rigid logic or like an intellectual reasoning behind when like for me it was a very intuitive thing and like it was it was affecting the voice like i felt that it was making the voice cuter and funnier and i don't know just achieving something something in there but it wasn't like it was it's hard for me to explain to them i guess so It ended up like I would bring in these poems every week and we would just talk about the misspellings no matter what else was in the poem, you know. (laughs) Right. So.
2: Right. So let's talk about other, um, you know, other buzzwords (laughs) in the uh, Steve Roggenberg universe. Like I just noticed like Fricker uh, is obviously a big one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Like, you know, are are a lot of these just words that, like, like they make me laugh uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. they just words that make you laugh, and then they just become sticky, and they become part of, like, the language. But there is a distinct language to the subculture that exists um, in Altlet in general, which I think we should probably talk about in a broader sense, but also specifically um, around your work. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, all these things sort of happen organically as you're experimenting with this stuff and putting together poems and macros and then you know, the ones that are stickiest have a tendency to hang around is, I mean, is that the right reading on
1: it? Uh, possibly I, yeah, I don't know. I like fricker and like, there's other like hacker, hackwad, (laughs) hacking, um, (laughs) fricking, uh, (laughs) frick all these, all these, like these soft swear words. I really like for some reason, I don't, I don't know why exactly. Um, I feel like I've, come to uh I feel like I've had a moment where I discovered like to myself why I like them or some reasoning but now I can't remember it. I don't know. Um I've just always been amused by that. Sometimes I feel that it is somewhat arbitrary. Um my use of the word truly, I think has really caught on, and like I'm still hooked on it, like I say it all the time, and like the people that I stay with <laughs> always get in the habit of saying truly a lot um <laughs> but it it's just it's this adverb that like and it's funny I was talking. To my, one of my friends on the phone, and I noticed that she was starting to say "truly" before she even knew what she was going to say after it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a, It's like I don't know what it, what I'm going to say that this is. But I know that it's truly that. You know, right? So I don't know. Um, I feel sometimes it's a little bit arbitrary, but sometimes sometimes there's a little bit more uh, significance, maybe. But I feel like e- in either case. It's sort of just building a culture that you can get into and it's connected to the other memes, you know, the other language and the other stuff that's going on. So it just creates this whole world that you can sort of get into and be part of and like belong in kind of. So I feel like it's kind of fun and valuable to have those language things, even if, A specific one doesn't have that much deeper value.
2: Well, yeah, no. I mean, and it's like I've read some of your stuff online. Like, I think it was an essay that you know that kind of tried to make an attempt to uh, sum up, or at least partially sum up, your approach. And it was talking about how um, the creation of art within this community and the creation of culture that results is sort of an alternative to some of the more brain dead cultural alternatives that we have, uh, like television, for instance, you know, it's like a, it's a more productive way. And, and frankly, often a lot more fun way to spend your time when you're like doing something online that's participatory and funny and involves other people, um, in an, in an active way, you know? Truly. (laughs) Um. so, so (laughs) so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about alt lit. Okay, because like I need, okay. I, I actually need some clarification on this. Like I, I get, easy, I'm easily confused trying to keep track of everything that happens on the internet, but I'm also easily fascinated.
0: And um, yeah, yeah, alt
2: lit feels to me, and and like you know, I don't know if I'm reading this in, uh, accurately by saying that you're a part of alt lit. Um, I don't know if you, yeah. I don't know if you feel that way or if you feel like you're sort of your own thing. I mean, it's so hard when you start talking about. Labels and names and movements and stuff like that. But yeah. um, one thing I've noticed as sort of like a um, through line or a similarity uh, among um authors or people who are participating in that way online is that there's kind of a, like a purity and a um, humor and a vitality to it and a lack of pretense that I find uh, really uh, relieving. And interesting, and just nice. yeah, I, I enjoy it. You know what I'm saying. And I'm 37 years old. I just turned 37, so I feel like I'm on yeah. the, I'm on the high end of, the, uh, <laughs> of, of yeah. the of the age range. I don't think there are that many people my age, so I'm starting to wonder if something's wrong with me sometimes. But I the, don't know. The, the truth is that yeah, the truth is that uh, I, I guess I just um, you know I find it uh, exhausting sometimes. All the posturing and pretense that goes into like high literary culture or I don't know. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I, I love the energy of it, and and something that you said earlier about comment board language, uh, which I tend to be really moved by emotionally. And just as a, like from my particular perspective as a reader, I think like the central litmus that I hold literature up to, uh, up against when I'm trying to um, decide. Uh, it's, it's personal value to me is whether or not it moves me emotionally, whether that means it makes me laugh or it makes me sad or it makes me... yeah You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just looking for that sort of experience that feels authentic and uh, authentically, emotionally interesting. And I guess I get that a lot of the time from this stuff. So can you talk about uh, Altlet and kind of explain maybe to listeners what it is or what you think it is? And then maybe... Um, whether or not you feel like you fit into it or if you feel like you're apart from it.
1: Nice. Uh, yeah, I like what you said about the, the lack of pretense compared to a maybe other lit culture or something. I, uh, I think I understand what you're saying and I, I agree and appreciate that too. Um, the, uh, the term alt lit. Is just recently starting to catch on, it seems like, but I know the origin story. Um,
0: it's a rare,
1: rare story, not that known. Um, Corey Stevens, who's twitter.com slash outmouth, um, coined uh, alt lit. I think he was he was influenced by hipster runoffs used the word alt and he was using the word alt in other ways too like he referred to soy milk once as alt milk i think <laughs> um, so <laughs> he, he he came up with the term altlet and created this tumblr blog called altlet gossip and he did it for a couple months covering a lot of the people that were in like pop serial, this lit mag, um, sure, that yeah. Steven Tully Burke's run and like some of the people around Moomoo House, but then also some other people that are covered in this broader community around HTML giant. And, um, so he ran that for a few months. And then he sort of went off the grid somewhat. I think he only had like computer, like internet on his phone or something. And he, he dropped the blog, but Frank Hinton, editor of medicine, she's got a chapbook. book. Uh, I think she's got a novel coming out. Um, she uh she took it up, she squatted on the u r l on the name of altlet gossip and started doing it again with some and then bringing some other people in to help out and um that blog's gotten kind of popular now, but uh i don't know, I feel like um pretty much everyone would say that I'm part of altlet um there's been some Debate over it and people talking about similar like related things like other terms for the same group of writers or like I don't know. It's kind of interesting um, uh, Like uh, I feel like the main person in outlet or like uh, one of the main figures has been Tao Lin, um, but some people feel that that the word that the term outlet shouldn't even be used to describe him as much as like these people who came after him like really influenced by him uh, what was so in- what's I don't know. so, in- what's it, so it's influential kind of confusing
2: what's so influential about tao i mean let's t- talk about him cuz i know that he has like a lot of uh Currency in the world of alt-lit a lot of people are big fans of his work and you know He does and I you know, I'm a fan of his and have known him for you know, at least online for um, Several years and have followed what he's been up to and there are a lot of you know similar things in terms of how he Has leveraged the internet to create culture and create an audience for his work I mean that's got to be something that influenced you correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tao Lin, like, I always had this vague idea of using social networking to spread my poetry. Like, ever since I was using it for my bands and then I started getting into poetry, I'm like, I could do the same thing on MySpace, you know, for my own poetry. Turns out it was these other sites, but basically, I mean, but uh, but Tao was one of the, my, my main models when I first started actually doing it. Like, he was just, like, present- when I first found his stuff... I was like, oh, no, somebody already did all the stuff that I <laughs> wanted to do. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I just, so then I started a Blogspot blog, spot blog um, where I would write, like, some essays, uh, some reviews and stuff, and that's possibly where you uh, may have read an older essay of mine or something. Um, but that was at – it's still archived at com if you scroll down to where it says blogged about poetry in the past you can find the old blog archives, but then I also started Twitter and then I started using Facebook a little bit for the poetry stuff. Although I really started doing that a lot in 2011 with Facebook, making it my main thing. But, um, uh, uh, (laughs) yeah, he was, he was sort of a model for, for me adapting, uh, using the internet to promote my stuff. um, I don't know. Tao has, like... Tao has had a huge influence. I feel like... um I don't know. Like... You know, people always said, like, Tao Lin imitators, quote-unquote, you know? And referring to, I think, some of the writers that have been published through Moo House and some others. I'm sure at one point I qualified as a Tao Lin imitator to other people um, because I was pretty highly influenced by him. Um And just recently people have started saying steve rogenbuck imitators um... and referring to people that are making like image macros a lot and putting out uh... i think image macros is the main thing that people immediately notice and stuff like the misspellings and some other stuff like i mean the florfinance but then also like the way it combines with some of like the other phrasing that i've used in some of like the darker or like the stranger like love poems and stuff um but i <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of scattered in answering this, but like alt lit altlet is alt hasn't been a focused movement or anything, you know, like nobody put out a manifesto for it or anything. It's just sort of like this word that's been used to describe what is happening, you know. And there's this community or these overlapping communities, like there's, there's a community around my work now. There's been communities around Tao's work, and there's sort of, you know, there's a big following on several different blogs in the community, and um you know lots of people find each other on certain uh through certain hubs in the community but they're sorta they're sorta all tied together. There's maybe different factions within it or something, but it's like it's sorta just this existence of all these communities and like the mass of work that is that is cranked out by this community. Um so there's a lot of diversity I feel in Alt lit and you can't really say much definitive about it. I feel like um, I've been writing some essays now that refer to Altlet. Like, I had an essay about Altlet community building, and then I had an essay just this past week called Straight Edge Altlet Rise Up. But I'm not talking, I'm not like saying things on behalf of Altlet as a whole. I feel like nobody could really have that position to talk about on behalf of it as a whole. I feel like for example though the um, the Straight Edge Alt Lit post. Yeah yeah I wanted to ask I time.
2: wanted to ask you about that because that that is at odds with I think like a lot of um, the community or a lot of the work that has been done for yeah. the community and the general attitude embraced not just by alt lit people but by like you know literary people online in general it's not often that somebody st- you know st- uh, stands up and says uh, I'm I'm not using alcohol and drugs at all I'm not taking Adderall or Xanax Yeah 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 and,
1: you know like there's so much of yeah, that Yeah I it. think Truly um, and I mean I think it's it, I think it can I think drug use can be valuable for other people but I feel like um, it was just so prominent and I feel like not just the fact that other people use um, you know drugs and all but um, just the way that it would be referenced in the work so frequently and with this in this way that I felt like that was romanticizing it, you know, like that was why it was cool or something like the poem was cool because the person said they were taking these drugs in it or something. I just felt like, I felt that, you know, certain times more than others, other work, it, it didn't get to me that way, but I just felt like there was this overwhelming support for that in the community that I felt like, um, uh, I, th- I feel like it mirrors the original use of straight edge really well. like, Um, the original Straight Edge was in the hardcore community that was like a response to the hedonism of like the, the punk culture that existed before it and it's like it makes sense to me like you're part of this community and you just see like so much of the community like holding up this one ideal and like chanting for it or whatever you know it just makes you sort of want to stand up and say like hey I'm also part of this community and that's not what I believe so if you not not in a way like I'm trying to break away or or bash on the other part of the community, but more so that I'm just saying, like, if you're also in this community and feel the same as me, you know, you still have a place here, especially since I feel like I've become one of the leaders of the community, that I had a particularly good opportunity to, to say that.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's a complicated issue. Like, I have such a complicated uh, view of drugs because, like you say, like they can lead to like extraordinarily positive things, and people can have yeah. huge personal and artistic breakthroughs, and like that's true, you know. They can, and people can just have yeah. a, a hell of a lot of fun on drugs, but um, there's a very significant dark side and. Uh, you know, that needs to be talked about as well. And like, it's very dangerous, you know what I'm saying? Especially when you get into like heavy pharmaceuticals and, um, you know, addiction and all that kind of stuff. Like it can be extremely, uh, destructive in all sorts of different ways. So it's a tricky issue and there's no, I don't think it's a black and white issue either, but I think it's important that, um, you know, there be some diversity to the perspective, right?
1: Yeah. And I think like I was already living this way, um, and so it was kind of like, I just wanted to make it a like publicly noted, you know, so that, um, n- so like the post listed some reasons why I don't use drugs or alcohol, but it wasn't like it, the main point of the essay wasn't to be an argument against using them. It was just sort of like, you know, like I said to say, Hey, I'm here and I, I live this way. And so I feel like people should be able to. Feel like part of the community without feeling pressured to be part of that part, that aspect of the
2: community. To be medicated, yeah, and and uh, so you don't drink or uh, do any drugs at all. No, okay. it's interesting because if yeah, you, if, you watch, if, you, if you watch your videos, people, would, I think people's initial like for like an outsider, yeah. an outsider looking in, like I think people might be like, "Holy cow, this guy is fucked up."
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's actually, <laughs> yeah, truly.
0: Actually, not. The I case. get that
1: question pretty frequently. Yeah. But I don't know, yeah, I just I get jacked up like the focus on just doing my work and stuff like and I don't know. I've never re- I don't
2: know. Okay, so when you're making that when you're making those videos and and you know for those of people listening um who haven't seen uh one of Steve's videos, you really should watch them. Like I love your videos and I think they're um interesting and hilarious and uh moving, uh strangely moving at times and uh what I want to know is how you make them. I'm interested in, uh, you know, obviously, sometimes people are filming you. I'm assuming you're using a camera or a, a phone camera. Is that what you're usually using to film, or is it something more uh, robust?
1: Uh, usually, I'm by myself. Uh, usually, I'm, like, holding it out, you know, with the one hand, like, MySpace style, you know. And uh, I use uh, this, like, point-and-shoot digital camera that my dad got me for Christmas one year that has like some HD video capability or sometimes, um, when it's a little bit lower quality, that's often was when I was using just like the camera on my iPhone. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing for those. Uh the process. Usually I'll have some basic idea of what I want to do. Like I'll have some, some line that I want to use for title or some vague topic, but sometimes I don't even really know. Um, And I just go and I, like, improvise all this footage of me, like, shouting things and saying things, trying to be funny. And, um, you know, some of them I'm in, like, I'm in this outdoor setting and I end up getting on this more impassioned um, role where I'm actually saying things that end up, you know, inspiring people also. But a lot of times I'm just inside somewhere alone where I can just yell and not feel self-conscious and I'm just trying to be funny. And I have like an hour or more of footage. Sometimes I've had over two hours of footage, and I cut it down to like a minute or two or three, you know, of like, and I and I cut the clips really close together. But um, and you so and you're just doing this on and you're doing this best. on
2: iMovie. Is it iMovie that you're using?
1: I've been using iMovie. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I have intentions to get a copy of Final Cut Pro and start using that because I think it'll sort of, you know allow me to do other stuff, especially with like the typography or other miscellaneous things. But yeah, I've just been using iMovie pretty straightforward, just cutting these clips together and using you know, modifying the, the the video and audio settings a bit, but um Well
2: see, but I can't I cannot imagine that in the world that we live in and, and as we go forward that if any poets are gonna distinguish themselves in the culture that this won't be uh, a component. You know, it just seems like such a natural fit, or I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and it seems like such an opportunity because, um, you know, otherwise, what you know, prior to this, what were you limited to? You were limited to public gatherings, wherever you could get people into a bookstore or some sort of basement or something. And, um, th- those are great. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's fine too. But, um, it, yeah. just, it just allows you to expand your reach so significantly. And and with these, oh, with these tools to create, um, you know, I think. Uh, videos of true cinematic quality. Like I love documentary film, and so like when you're talking about your process and you're talking about shooting three hours to get three minutes, um, that's pretty much the ratio. I mean, you know, you're shooting thousands of feet of film in a documentary, and um, especially when you're improvising. I mean, that that makes perfect sense to me, and uh, I think it's yeah. I think it yields interesting results. And um, I don't know, I'm a fan of that. Nice,
1: thank you. Yeah, I uh, I. <laughs> I don't know exactly where I was going there. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you this: There's me... lots of different things to say, but yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, so let me let me ask you this though: Like, what uh, what do you see going forward? Like, I want to know two things uh, before I let you go. Yeah. Like, you know, like, what do you what like do you have a vision? Um, you know, you you talked earlier in like this kind of like uh, earnest way about wanting to be great. Like, do you know what great looks like? Uh, can you quantify it? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Do you have like a a number of, of readers or followers or anything like that? Or is it just going to be more of an intuitive sense of it? Um, do you have a sense of what you're going to do like with your life? Is it going to continue to be a situation where you're trying to build community around your work and you're going to be like a traveling poet? I mean, is this like a long-term thing or is this, um, kind of a means to an end or some sort of temporary, um, you know, period of your life before you, wind up settling in San Francisco on a more permanent basis.
1: Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, well, I feel like, I feel like to me doing something great, um, the most important component of that is just like actually having an impact in individuals' lives, which I already am doing. And I love the way that I build my, uh, my following or my whatever, is so awesome because I get so much direct feedback from people. Like, even if even if a, a standard publishing setup would get me to more readers, it wouldn't get me as many, like, enthusiastic comments back from those readers, you know? And that's that's a really big boost, you know? That's like, I have this folder on my computer where I've been saving these screenshots of when people just say, like, really nice things, like, They'll tweet something like, I was sad, then I watched a Steve Rogenbuck video, now I'm happy. And stuff like that, like, you've changed my life, thank you so much for your positive perspective and stuff. And, like, just countless, literally there's almost 700 of these screenshots now that I just got, that I just keep, like, to remind myself what I'm doing, like, if I ever doubt myself or, like, take some criticism too seriously, you know? And, like, so I feel like I'm already doing what I want to do with my life. And, like, I've been achieving that on an individual level. And I think just, like, more of the same, kind of. Um, of course, it's going to have to, like, structure differently as it grows. And I think, like, one thing I was, I was considering, I couldn't, I couldn't decide if setting setting a goal of a number would be helpful, like, for a certain time period. I sort of had this idea in my mind of like of 10,000 followers on various platforms because I think when I was learning about blogging and like the different ways that people make a sustained living off blogging, a lot of times it was a lot of those blogs would, would have about around that much following. Um, and so I think maybe I had – or no, like – or these other, well, I guess kind of that, uh, <laughs> I don't know. There were certain blogs that I held up near the beginning, um, like Hipster Runoff and, um, Pictures for Sad Children, this webcomic also. I knew John Campbell who does that webcomic. I met him in person in Chicago and he was really inspiring to me because he, you know, just every day his, what he does is just his webcomics and the stuff related to that. And, um, Doing, like, not having to do other stuff for a job was really important to me. Now I've sort of achieved it, although I've cheated because a lot of why I can achieve it is because I've lowered my expenses so much, just staying with people for free and, like, eating really cheap food and not buying anything, really. Um, But I've achieved it, so I'm not, like, dead set on that as much, although I still do want to be able to just keep doing this when I do settle somewhere i feel like i'll settle somewhere in probably san francisco um but i'll probably always travel a lot i think i think there's always going to be uh new ways to expand what i'm doing and i feel like i feel like i haven't been thinking about the future as much like honestly kind of um i used to have this somewhat laid out idea of the future because I was with this girl for six years and we sort of had this plan of having a family and so I was that was part that was the main reason maybe why I did my MFA program was I felt like I had to have a like a good size income so I figured I would have to be teaching probably but I also had this impulse that I just wanted to keep doing my art all the time so I did the MFA as a sort of compromise um temporarily and then I dropped out of that like a month after I broke out of that relationship. So I don't know exactly where things will go. Somebody asked me in an interview where I see myself in 10 years and I don't know, but I added a smiley face after saying, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm fine with that now. Uh, I feel like it's, it's going to grow and like, unexpected ways maybe, but I'll just keep rolling with it. Uh, okay. Did I, did I miss anything else?
2: <laughs> I, I think you got it. I think you got it. And, um, you know, one last question before I let you go, I actually asked, um, Facebook people online what I should ask you. And I had, uh, oh, yeah. several, uh, girls asked, uh, asked me to ask you if you have a girlfriend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, well, no, um, the traveling has been like uh, has broke up some things that like probably could have turned into a situation where I would have, you know, really sort of fell for someone or something, but I kind of just, I had to move on to the next city and like, so I guess I don't have, I don't have a quote unquote girlfriend at this point, no.
2: But you, you have like women, like uh, like fan, you know, fans of yours that are pining to meet you. When you when you show up in these towns, do you feel like?
1: Oh, so... truly, man. I feel. Like, you know what? Like, I mean, the, the. I mean, it's so it worked out really well for me. When I became single, was also timed up when I started doing my video blogs a lot, and it's like I've had no shortage of people being interested in me in that way. Well, no. I mean, you if, know? You're, if
2: you're going to be the, travel so, it's better to be single if you're going to be a traveling poet. Let's just be
0: honest.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, there's, I feel like if anybody's out there is having trouble needing girls or or guys to, uh, you know, start up a personal brand, you know, build build a website, uh, you know, it's like a magnet, you know? It's like a magnet, mainly for, like, What's interesting about it? Well, no, I mean it makes sense. It's like a magnet for like cute indie girls and gay men. I found. <laughs> Do
2: you have a big gay about, ma- <laughs> a big gay male following?
1: <laughs> I have a pretty big gay male following, yeah. Uh, so,
2: well, it happens, you know. you know, your video, I mean, you got the full thing going on. You got the poetry. You got the, you know, the literary side of it. You got the videos. It's funny, you know. There's a lot of different things going on, so. It's uh, it's interesting stuff, and I congratulate you on all that you have accomplished because, um, you know, you're operating outside of the traditional confines of the publishing world in a way that is, uh, you know, ex- extremely effective. And I, uh, I can't wait to see what happens next and, like, where you take this thing because um, – uh, I'm a fan of it. It's fun for me to watch. So I wish you the best of luck with it. I thank you for spending time uh, talking with me. And, uh, you know, if you're ever out in uh, Los Angeles, I hope we can meet up.
1: Truly. I'll be in Los Angeles in maybe December, so we should hang out or something. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I'm also, not not to be self-indulgent, but I'm also interested where my own path takes me I don't know I I, I like talking about myself way too much um, but thank you for indulging me in that uh, and thank you for all the interest
2: alright man well listen best of luck on the road
1: thank you 666
2: ok folks there you go that's the show that is Steve Rogenbuck. thank you for listening you can find Steve online he's all over the world wide web check him out at steverogenbuck.com check him out at livemylife.com that's L-I-E-F Get his book there while you're at it. It's called Crunk Juice. You can follow him on the Twitter. His handle is at Steve Roganbuck, and he's also maintaining a very robust Facebook presence. This show has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. It has a Twitter feed, once again, at otherpeoplepod. I'm on Twitter at Brad Listy, And if you would like to email me, please do so at letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And, uh, yeah... What can I tell you? It's late. I am recording this late at night. I am racing to get things done. It is after midnight. I am feeling soft in the head. I have been up since the crack of dawn. I am beginning to fade. I can feel it happening. It's happening. Please remember that Tolstoy was abusive to his servants and that Henry James once hid behind a tree to avoid having to spend time with Ford, Maddox Ford. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it a ton. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for spreading the word. Thank you for pausing and taking one long, extremely deep, and concentrated breath while silently contemplating 400 million years ago. 400 million years ago. Think of the ocean. Visualize the very first sea creature in the history of this planet ever to crawl out of the ocean and begin struggling to walk in the sand. Continue breathing. Do not stop. Continue visualizing a very slimy, lizard-like creature struggling to walk in the sand, and suddenly it looks up at you and it says...